Hey, Redeemed family, we are in week two of the sermon series, Rebuild, Leadership Lessons for When Things Fall Apart. And I am so excited about this sermon. We are gonna be talking about an important topic in the rebuild process, and that's vision. And I think this is a thing that we need to talk about in all of our churches, vision for your life, and how do you express vision to get other people on board as we rebuild. I'm so excited about talking about that, so hang in there with me. But before we begin, two important events that I wanna talk about. First, I'm so excited about this. Sunday, July 11th, we are doing uh, Church at the Park, Fort Silicon Park, 11 a.m. They have a new stage right by the playgrounds. We're gonna be the first ones to use it. I'm so excited. Bring your chairs and worship together. Fort Silicon Park, 11 a.m. on July 11th. That's a Sunday. Really excited about that. Number two, we talked about it in the last sermon. But I want everyone to join with us on the 24-7 prayer movement that we're doing for Redeem, July 19th through the 25th. From your home or work or wherever you are, we want everyone signing up for at least one hour to be praying for Redeem. Night and day, we want every hour of the week, that week, getting prayed over for our body. So we believe that prayer day and night will help us revitalize our church and renew our culture. And so we are so excited about that, but we need everyone praying. So redeem.church and you can sign up for that. So let's begin the sermon, all right? It is July 4th weekend. I hope everyone's having a great weekend. And I want to start this sermon talking about one of my favorite American heroes. Now my son's names are Jeremiah and Abraham. And so every time that I'm anywhere and they ask about my sons, I say their names and they're like, oh man, you went old school, Old Testament with your kids' names. And I did in some ways, like Jeremiah and Abraham's great. And, but Abe is actually named after my favorite president, Abe Lincoln, the man. And so I have a quick bone to pick real quick, and this is off topic, but you know, Abe Lincoln was born in Kentucky, served uh, or kind of practiced law in Illinois, but do you know where he spent most of his childhood? Indiana, that's right, a Hoosier. That's what I'm gonna claim because you know me, I'm an Indiana boy still. And so Abe Lincoln, no matter what anybody tells you, is a Hoosier. But one of the things that I love about Lincoln was came out of this book called Team of Rivals. If you're a history buff, you have to read this book called Team of Rivals. And in this book, he talked about two things that were exceptional about Lincoln. So as, you, as most of you know, I'm sure, is that Lincoln becomes the 16th president and 39 days later, the Civil War breaks out. And so he's stuck with all this turmoil and trying to figure out how to lead this country. And so the book talks about two things that Lincoln did exceptionally well, exceptionally well. The first one was he created what the author calls this team of rivals. And what the team of rivals is, is that in a time of great division in the country, he surrounded himself with his opponents and with people who disagreed with him. People that ran against him or people that opposed him uh, politically. And so he created this team of rivals. It said that Lincoln had this unbelievable ability to put himself in a man's shoes, figure out how he was feeling and understand their motives and desires and ultimately win them over to his side because he needed talented people to be on the same mission. And this is how Lincoln did it. He took disgruntled opponents with great talent to pull off an amazing task. 
Now, the second thing that he did that this book talks about is that he led with vision and he kept vision in the forefront always. He kept it in the minds of everyone that was on his team all the time. Lincoln's vision was clear, right? The, pro the proposition that all men are created equally, that there would be an end to slavery, and ultimately that we, we would preserve the union as well. And so that vision is so clear in the Gettysburg Address, and I read it once a year, I recommend you do as well. What we see with Lincoln and what we see with Nehemiah as we continue that is that vision is a critical part of rebuilding anything in our lives. Not looking at what is, but what will be. What does God have on your heart and putting vision on what will be. So that's what we're talking about today. And we're going to get into it a little bit, but this is not a vision for the church. This is your life. How do you have vision in the things that God's asking you to build or rebuild? So we're looking at what does vision look like for each of us. Now, if you did not watch last week's sermon, I highly recommend you watching it or listening to it on podcast. It was the first part of rebuild. And so what we learned as we looked at it was, one, there's acknowledgement that brokenness is all around us and that brokenness will always be around us but God is calling us to rebuild and the first part of that process is to lament and to weep over what is broken when a deep with a deep love that we have and the second one then is to pray and to fast and to really search after what God has for you in that process and then ultimately looking at our influence and our skills and our giftings that we have and seeing what we might be able to do to change it and how God wants to work through us. So now we're going to continue looking at Nehemiah 2. So we're going to start at Nehemiah 2, 1 through 2. So read with me. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, I've been working on that, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are, you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. So let me paint the picture here. We talked about this last week, but we are now four months probably ahead from where he first heard about the wall. And he's the cupbearer of the king. And so we talked about it a little bit last week, but the process looked a little bit like this. So a little view of Nehemiah's life. His job was to keep the king from being poisoned, right? And so as a germaphobe, just so you know, applications are welcome. I am looking for my own cupbearer because I just want to make sure that everything's good. Taste my food a little bit. Take, taste my drink a little bit. Make sure I'm good because I am scared to death of getting salmonella. But moving on, he said he would, would wash the king. He would wash the cup in the king's presence. He'd pour out just a little bit of wine. He would then drink a little bit in the king's presence. And then he would hand the cup to the king. This would have happened a lot, and he would have been around the king a lot. Now, one of the things that's important is that the king takes notice because it would have been unbecoming to be around the king and show sadness of any kind. This was not something that you would normally do. This is actually pretty brave. You were supposed to put on a brave face when you were around the king. You're not supposed to be sad. He couldn't hide this lamenting and this weeping, and this care about his, his, the city and, the, and his people. And we see this because he says, Then I was very much afraid, 
Nehemiah had a deep anxiety about what was supposed to happen next. He, was, he might have feared for his livelihood. He might have feared for his status. He might have feared for his own life. What we see here is that no matter what, to build anything or to rebuild anything, it will take courage. We talk about courage a lot here, but this is a true, true truism of our Christian faith. When God calls us to something, it will take courage courage. It takes courage to set, step up and lead. It takes courage anytime we are called to something. Because, God's calling, because when God's calling you to something, it doesn't come without a need for courage and a willingness to sacrifice. And so the question for you is, if God's calling you to something, what are you willing to lose? Nehemiah was w- willing to lose a lot, apparently. And there was anxiety about that, and that's okay. But what are you willing to lose? It's clear that any time in our life, when we do something that God is calling us to, it will be a challenge. It is a challenge to be on mission for God. I'm not going to lie to you in saying that rebuilding or building anything is, is not going to be hard. It is much easier to watch Netflix and TikTok and play video games. That is just the truth. But I'm telling you, the cur- to, to build up the courage and to do something on mission and to rebuild or build anything, it is so much sweeter than all those things. And God will be with us. So now we continue into Nehemiah 2, 3 through 8. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if, if, it, if your servant had found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And let the letter of Asaph and the king, keeper of the king's forest that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I may occupy, I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. When we are called to rebuild, God will be with us, right? There will be this favor of the Lord when we are doing the works of the Lord. Let me say that again. There will be favor of the Lord when we are doing the works of the Lord. It says, and I love this line, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now, I was praying for the church, and I was praying for myself, and, and praying for this sermon. And I felt overwhelming sense that the Lord was saying, Kurt, call the people to a level of abundance, an abundance mindset. Because when the Lord is in it, there is abundance. Sometimes we work out of a deficit mindset. At the church, as we lead this church, and your own life, you might have a deficit mindset. But I'm telling you, we, ser- we serve a God whose good hand will be upon us. And so we live out of this abundance. Now again, looking at the story of Nehemiah, 
It says for about four months later that he has this. So one of the things I want to cautious, caution us on is that it doesn't necessarily come quickly, right? Sometimes rebuilding and building is a process. And sometimes we get antsy to do this. And we don't feel like the Lord's favor is on us. But sitting and waiting and lamenting and weeping and praying and fasting is all part of the rebuilding process. Now I'm going to skip uh, verse 9 and 10. But ultimately what happens is uh, opposition starts to come, right? They hear about it and opposition starts to come. We are going to focus on opposition in a couple weeks. That's one that you're going to listen to because anytime we do the Lord's work, there will be opposition. So we're going to go deep into that. But now we move forward to uh, Nehemiah 2, 11 through 16. So I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I rose in the night and I, and I and a few men went with me and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the wall of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Now fast forward to 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So Nehemiah makes it through this long journey. He got through the governors, makes it to Jerusalem, and what does he do? Well, the first thing he does is he rests for three days. I don't know who needs to hear this. I just want to put this out there. It's okay to rest. I'm probably speaking to myself. But he rests for a couple days. But then he takes time to inspect and to reflect on the situation. He does it at night. He does it on his own. He doesn't tell anyone. Now, I want to be cautious here. It's really good for us to get wisdom and to get guidance. So I'm not saying that. But I will say in today's world, when something breaks around us, we talked about, talk about this last week, but in an age of social media, we can become a little attention-seeking on this, right? We can post about it. We can post over and over again it. We can have send uh, kind of mixed signals on social media. We can look for comments or likes or really play up this brokenness. But I'm telling you, the Lord wants us to do more lamenting and praying and fasting and inspecting than just putting out there on social media. And you see Nehemiah holds back a little bit and gets things figured out. And I want to caution us on sharing your life on social media or sharing your brokenness on social media. It's not that you don't share it with close friends or with people, but there is this trend that I see of people sharing everything on social media. And I'm telling you, the Lord wants you to seek after Him rather than the attention of others. And so I just want to put that out there as we continue. Now, we're going to get to this idea of vision in light of this. Jim Collins wrote this book called Good to Great. And it's a study looking at what moves a company from just a good company to a great company. Now, there's a variety of things in in how he defines what a good company is. But the number one thing that before it begins is he talks about this thing called a level five leader. Now, when you think about a level five leader and you think about church leaders even, and and this is an important trait that we got to talk about, was uh, charisma. You might think charisma. You might think smarts. You might think IQ. You might think things like that. But what he defined as a level five leader were ultimately two things, people with humility and people with an indomitable will. People with humility 
and the will to make things happen. And the big thing is that their ambition is first and foremost for the cause, the mission, the organization, rather than for just themselves. They were more focused on the purpose than they were about self gain. This is what a level five leader. And ultimately, these leaders had a vision and would stay steady and show others what the new future looked like and how they were gonna get there. Vision was so important to a level five leader. Now for level five leaders, it does not matter what you're doing. I'm telling you, you are a leader in some way. Whether that's a leader amongst your friends or a leader in your family or a leader at a business or a leader of just leading a team at your business or leading the church, whatever that is, I wanna challenge us that we need, like we talked about last week, we need more builders than bodies. We need more level five leaders in our, in our communities. And why not start with Christians on that, right? Now, we see in Proverbs the importance of vision. It's so critical. Proverbs 29, 18, and this is the NAS, NASB. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. You know, the message says it like this. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. We see that vision is so important. So as we jump to the last part of this, uh, this passage, Nehemiah laments, he prays, he decides to lead, he speaks to authority, he inspects the situation, which brings us to Nehemiah 2, 17 through 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I, am all, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Now, there's another important uh, TED talk. There's an important TED talk out there called Start with the Why by Simon Sinek. It's a great one. I'll probably link to it in the sermon. But starting with the why is this idea that all things and how we're motivated as humans is why. But so often when leaders talk about the what and the how, in the center is the why. The what and the how, although important, are not as important as the why. The why is what motivates us. Getting to answering the why you do anything is so important, way more important than the what and the how. Now, when we're sharing a vision, we too need to start with the why. Nehemiah shares his why. We see it right here. He says, you see the trouble that we are in and that we will no longer be in disgrace. That's the why. He's, he's not even talking about the how of rebuilding the wall. He's getting them to understand the why, that we're in trouble and that we are no longer going to be in disgrace. And what, what the what is the building the wall and the how we'll see is that they basically are going to show a plan on how they build the wall. But we'll see that in the next few weeks. But the motivator is the why. The motivator is the why. If God is calling you to rebuild something, we often jump to the what and the how. But I'm telling you, we have to get to the why. Like Nehemiah, we have to spend time thinking about and speaking about the why. This is what motivates people. 
This is what people gets people in and keeps people going when things get hard. This is Nehemiah's moment because it's going to be tough and it's going to be hard and he needs to share the why with the people that he's going to ask to join in the what and then tell them how. And so as we come into vision, it's so important that we understand our whys. Why do we do what we do and why is God calling us to build or rebuild things in our lives? You know, I'm leading this church completely during this season because of why. And my why really is all about you guys. Like, I love this church and I love what we could do and what we will do. And my why is so built on, I want to raise my kids in a church with people who are passionately following Jesus and reaching out to our community. That's as simple as it gets. My why is to, our why together is to learn how to be a spirit-led church that does the works. A spirit-led church that does the works so that Lakewood and UP and Stillicum and DuPont and Spanaway will never be the same because I want us to reach our community on an individual level and corporately and we desperately need builders. That's you and me. That's us as a church body. That's us being the hands and feet of Christ because things are broken and things need to be rebuilt. And like I said, it needs to be the Christians that stand up and rebuild them. And that's why we're doing this. So now what about you? What is God calling you to build or rebuild in this season? What is God calling you into mission to, mission to do in your community, in your family, with your friends, at our church, whatever that looks like? And then why are you called to do that? What is your why? What is the why that God's put on your heart? What is your why? And then start to talk about what is and what will be. What will it look like? What will it look like when we achieve this? And how do we keep vision for, in the forefront of people's mind as we call them to this next level of living? So my challenge to you this week, spend some time reflecting and actually journaling on the why. What are the whys that God's put on your heart? Maybe just even if it isn't to rebuild or build anything, maybe it's just in the leadership that you're in. If you're leading at work or you're leading in your family or you have these friendships, what are your whys? What do you need to communicate about the vision of a relationship that you're in or the vision of your family or a vision of the church or a vision of a different ministry or a vision of something that you want to do? Spend time reflecting and journaling on the why. Highly recommend you watching that TED Talk as well. So as we finish up here today, I'm going to pray for us for renewed vision in each one of our lives. So just join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you have put each one of us on this earth to do your works, Lord Jesus. Will you help us to have a renewed vision for what you want us to do? Lord, will you help us to understand that your good hand is upon us? And then Lord, will you give us vision and why of what we're supposed to be doing, Lord Jesus? Will you give us vision and will you help us speak with vision into people's lives? Will you help us encourage people who are broken? Will you help us lift up those who are hurting? Lord, will you give us vision for what things might look like and then help people lead? And then will you give us, or help us lead people? And then will you give us the courage that we need to step up into that leadership? 
Lord, will you just fill us with your spirit and will you just fill us with renewed vision on an individual level and as a church? Will you give us new passion and new hope and new love and new joy? And Lord, will you just continue to renew us day and day as you give us a vision to impact this world for you? Don't let us shrink, but let us go out to our community and love on people. And Lord, help us to be builders and not just followers, Lord Jesus. Help us to lead where we need to lead, Lord Jesus. We follow you only, and we listen to what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, I love you all. We, again, we are meeting next Sunday, July 11th, 11 a.m., Fort Silicon Park. Bring your chairs and join us on the 24-7 prayer movement where we are reviving the church and rewiring our culture through nonstop night and day prayer. All right. You can sign up at redeem.church. If you need anything, you know where to find us. All right. Love you all.